0: So life together is what we're talking about i want us as a community to really look to god's word and consider um, how can we how can we work on our relationships be faithful to one another and and have healthy community even as we navigate through the various tensions because the tensions aren't the problem life isn't the problem challenges and 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 conflict and controversy all these things are just a part of life how do we as a church family as a community as friends Husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, et cetera, navigate through times like this in a way that we can we can do life together and not just turn on each other and, and and go the way of the world, go the way of culture, and just go tribal. That's not what we're about. And if you've spent any amount of time in God's word, you'll find that God, he tells us to talk to him as father. He says... Call me father when you talk to me because I like family. I'm all about family. When I think about God, I often think about my granddad who is utterly and wonderfully obsessed with just getting all the grandkids to be as close to him as possible. And sometimes I think that's got to be a little bit of God's heart for his kids. He just wants us to come together. He wants us to, to live life in unity. He wants us to learn how to love each other, to remain together. So that's what we're talking about. With all of that, let's go to Matthew 22. We're going to jump right into this. And let me just say up front that this might be a sermon that you've never, ever heard before. I've certainly never preached it before. I feel like this might be a bit of a bizarre one. Um, But I also feel quite strongly that this is so, so essential to what we're talking about. To living life together and navigating through difficult things um, in a way that's healthy and that honors God. So, Matthew 22, we're gonna read a small section here starting in verse 23. The same day, Sadducees, that's a particular sect within Judaism, the same day, Sadducees came to him, that is Jesus. Who say, there is no resurrection. That's what the Sadducees say. And they asked him a question, saying, teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, hypothetical scenario. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died and having no offspring left his wife to his brother. So, two, the second and third, down to the seventh brother, all died. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. Weird, super weird. (laughs) I don't like these guys. (laughs) It's obviously a trick. Verse uh, 29. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And we'll just stop right there. Last week, we talked about how to avoid quarreling over everything that you might hold to be true. We talked about how to avoid grieving a brother or sister in the name of truth when, in fact, you're really just tearing down relationships. This week, we're going to talk about the other side of that coin. We're going to talk about when it is right and appropriate and even loving to correct a brother or a sister or a person when they're wrong, when they're in error, when they've strayed from the truth like Jesus just did with these uh, so-called Sadducees that had this hypothetical scenario. And by the way, I'm not gonna go into all the cultural detail as to what they're even talking about. But needless to say, a long, long time ago, that would have been the cultural norm. If a man died, he would have left his wife to his brother because that's how she would have been provided for in that ancient culture. Um, but that's neither here nor there. The point is that this is one, of many, many instances where Jesus corrects the people that he's talking to. He just flat out says it. You're wrong. You don't know your Bibles, and you're clueless when it actually comes to the power of God. You're wrong. When is it ever actually appropriate to have that kind of conversation, even at the risk of potentially offending the person you're talking to? When is that right? And how do we do it? Our relationships will certainly begin to erode if we're constantly quarreling over everything that we hold to be true in the name of truth, as I said. That can be a problem. But conversely, if we never confront each other with the truth, despite the fact that eventually someone's going to get offended, then we run the equal risk of simply not, caring enough to actually say something it's the equivalent of not saying anything in that quote unquote name of truth to a friend or a brother or sister who's going the wrong way down a spiritual one-way street sure you may avoid conflict for a minute but in the end you're just being cruel it's unloving it's called being a bad friend so how how do we confront one another, how do we correct one another in a way that's actually loving as opposed to simply needing to be right or being harsh or being critical or acting out of insecurity? How do we confront one another specifically in in our community, in the family of God? Receiving and giving correction. So this is a sermon on how to give and receive correction. Have you ever heard one? This is the thing that sells books, I'm telling you. It reminds me of um, a story that I heard recently about two men who were arguing over who knew more about the Bible. And they were going back and forth. Oh, you don't know anything. You don't know a single verse. And they were bickering. and, And finally, the one man said, man, I bet you don't even know the Lord's Prayer. And the other man said, oh, yeah? Listen to this. He says, I bet you $5 you don't know the Lord's Prayer. And he says, well, here it goes. Before I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And should I die before I awake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And the other man shook his head, put his hand in his pocket. He said, man, I didn't think you'd know it. And some of you are like, I don't get it. (laughs) Just ask someone. Sometimes we're wrong. Sometimes we're wrong. And it would be wonderful, even loving, if there was someone around you who cared enough, who had enough courage and compassion in their heart to actually just tell you, you're wrong you're wrong, you misunderstand the scriptures, you don't understand the power of God, you're wrong. And now this is really awkward, but I'm telling you because how else are any of us supposed to grow up if no one around us has the nerve or enough compassion in their hearts to actually go there? But How do we do it? How do we do it? Let me say a few things about this. Number one, correction, is intrinsic to the gospel. Now, if you're not a Christian, you might be like, "Ah, what do you even mean by gospel? What I mean by the gospel is it's the good news that God loved the world, meaning all of us, so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die for us, to pay the penalty for my sins and yours. And if you'll trust him, If you'll believe in him, if you'll pledge your allegiance to Jesus, then you won't perish and go to hell, but you'll experience eternal life, new life, life in the family of God, loved, forgiven, transformed, beginning now and for eternity to come. But intrinsic to that simple proclamation of good news is that we're all wrong. We're all broken. We're all marred. We're all cursed. We're all sinners. But God loves us so much that he doesn't just stand aloof and look down in disgust and think, oh, what an idiot. Hope you get it figured out someday. No, he enters into the mess and he confronts us because he loves us. Because he wants to see us put back on, on the right course, the course that leads back home to new life. But it begins with this confrontation. It begins with this re- reality that, that we're all wrong. We're morally wrong. We're spiritually wrong. We're relationally wrong. We're just flat out wrong. The Bible elsewhere describes it as being dead. I mean, that's like properly wrong. Correction is intrinsic to the gospel. Correction in that sense is also, it's a gift. It's it's a gift. I love it the way um, it's said in Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. In other words, your enemy is happy to tell you whatever you want, even kiss you on the mouth if it's convenient. But a friend... Someone who truly loves you and cares for you will be willing to actually say the hard thing. Confront you when you are wrong, even if it bruises your ego a little bit. It's a gift. It's a gift. You may not agree with them. It might even wound your ego. But if you can practice receiving truth from a friend without justifying yourself, without getting defensive, without acting generally insecure, then you may actually find yourself drawing in ways that you would have never have otherwise done so. When was the last time someone told you you were wrong? Maybe not in like those exact terms, but when was the last time Someone looked you in the eye and said, you know what? You're wrong. You're wrong. Ever. Just got to hang out with Ken a little more. It takes some courage. You okay, Ken? Okay. He loves it. It takes some real courage, it takes some security. Do we not live in a culture that I would suggest is oftentimes so insecure that if you suggest to someone that they're wrong, it's taken as an immediate attack on like their identity. And it's just met with defensiveness, justification. Who are you to question me, to tell me I'm wrong? And it's, it's received as, a, as an act of hostility. Like you obviously must not care about me if you dare question what I call true or right or whatever. But the Bible seems to have a different attitude. It would seem that correction from a biblical perspective is actually one of the most loving things we can do. Affirm, encourage, build up. Absolutely, those things are equally important. And and we could say many, many more things about that. But this morning, we're talking about how does the family of God, how does a husband and wife, how do two friends, how does a brother and sister actually do that in a way that is loving? Correction fosters a culture of grace. Oftentimes, it's thought that if someone's correcting you, if someone crosses you, if someone suggests that you're wrong and you need to change the way you're thinking or acting, that's sort of considered as like, well, where's the grace? You're being harsh, you're being legalistic, abrasive, whatever, you know, you want to say. And of course, you can be abrasive, and I'll say something about that in just a moment. There's a way to confront a friend. But the truth is, when we can correct one another, when we can confront each other in a way that is appropriate, it's not contrary to grace. It actually fosters a culture of grace. It says in 1 Peter 5, 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And the author of James says the exact same thing. And the context there is actually um, in terms of uh, people correcting other people, specifically leaders correcting uh, people. And the exhortation is, when you humble yourself you find grace. When we can enter into that place of healthy confrontation where I'm being confronted with my attitude or my perspective or my quote-unquote opinion, it's not because there's lack of grace or not because someone's being graceless towards me. It's because there is grace. It's, there, it's because there is grace available that God does confront us. He doesn't just inform us of our hopelessness. FYI, you're going to hell. Good luck, kid. He confronts us because his grace is abundant. He confronts us because his grace abounds. When we're confronted with our sin, when we're told we're wrong, when a friend or a brother or sister corrects us, it's an opportunity to humble ourselves and discover there's more than enough grace for all of my shortcomings. So in fact grace is something that is the result of a healthy culture of correction and confrontation. Might have to think about that one. Correction or confrontation requires gentleness. Now, this has to do with the way we deliver. Now, to be sure, I could cite several, a handful of verses in the Bible where it would seem like the confrontation, the correction is is quite um, bold, quite radical, quite in your face. In fact, Jesus elsewhere, it would seem he had very, very little patience for his opponents, particularly people who are just acting hypocritically. But typically in the New Testament, when we see um, verses that are dealing with brothers and sisters correcting each other, or perhaps a leader coming to you to correct you in some way, the qualification is that it's to always be done with a gentleness, a gentle spirit. For example, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, brothers and sisters, this one should actually be up there. Thank you. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. And 2 Timothy 2:24 says, "The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness." That's extremely important. And you may ask yourself, well, what is gentleness? That that seems kind of relative. Is it, what if I'm just sort of like gentle in my mind? What if I mean to be gentle, but I just don't really deliver consistently? Well, that's on you. Ask someone, maybe you need to be corrected. (laughs) However you work it out, it is important that we don't use a sermon like this as license just to bludgeon others with the quote-unquote truth. We're always called to walk in gentleness, gentleness and respect. Correction requires security. Deuteronomy 8.5 says, Know then in your heart... That a man disciplines his son the way the Lord, your God, disciplines you. The writer of Hebrews, he quotes that verse in Deuteronomy. The Lord disciplines you like a parent disciplines their child. It's something that a parent does or should do out of love. Which creates an atmosphere of great security in a family and a home. You know what creates um, utter insecurity in a family? Be a parent who never ever disciplines your child. You You wanna see your kid to grow up just to be the most insecure adult you've ever known? Just don't discipline them. Don't love them enough to actually discipline them. When I was a middle school teacher, if I can share a quick personal story, I quickly realized that the hardest thing about teaching 10, 11, 12, 13 year olds middle school algebra was definitely not teaching them algebra. <laughs> it was disciplining little kids who were coming from homes who it would seem knew nothing of discipline where they were coming from. They were deeply, deeply insecure little kids. It takes some security within oneself to be confronted and corrected by a friend. A minute ago I mentioned how, when was the last time you were corrected? When was the last time someone came to you, looked you in the eye, sat you down and gently said, hey, you're wrong. The way you're interacting with that person, what you said, how you said it, could have to do with maybe something that you're doing morally. Could have something to do with like a, a... an idea, a thought pattern that you've held on to for God only knows how long? How do you receive that as a gift without immediately feeling compelled to justify yourself? Oh, you know that thing we do when someone tells you you're wrong? You immediately begin to like scan through your memory of all the things they ever did wrong so you can quickly say, yeah, but you... You always, and then all of a sudden try to like turn it around and make it about how they're actually wrong. You take the gift, you crumple it up and throw it on the ground and stamp on it and then kick it back to them. In order to create that culture where we can lovingly confront each other when we are wrong, we have to know who we are. Because that knee-jerk reaction to defend, it comes out of a, a it comes out of a, a sense, a place of I don't know who I am. My identity is essentially founded in whatever this thing is or was that you're now challenging, and because I don't have much of an identity. I have no choice but to retaliate, to defend, to justify, because you're going to a sacred place. And to be told that I'm wrong is to be said that I'm worthless as a person. And we can't take it. But when we are secure, when we're secure in who God says we are, I'm forgiven, I'm loved, I'm a child of God. Not because of anything that I have done, haven't done, or ever will or won't do, but because of who Jesus is and what he has done for me. His death on the cross paid for my sins. There's no undoing that. His resurrection back to life evidenced the fact that he has conquered sin and death and has made a way for me to come boldly before the throne of grace I'm an adopted child of God. I know who I am. It doesn't matter what I get wrong or who I think I may, am I supposed to be? Or you know how there's this constant cultural pressure to prove that I am enough, that I know enough, that I've read as many books as you have, and my talking heads are smarter than yours. Here's a link. You know know how we do. But the Christian... Who's been purchased by the blood of Jesus should be the most secure creature in the universe. And so when you come to me, and let me tell you something, I love our church. You guys must love me so much. (laughs) I get corrected so much, it sucks. This is a challenge to all of us. If you don't know who you are, I would suggest you, you begin to find out. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I would like to lovingly inform you that you are wrong. Really, really wrong. An invitation is for you. Admit it. God is right and we're all wrong. There could be other things about your life. You know, sin. Certain ways that we treat people, we treat ourselves. That's not coming out of an identity that's secure in God's love, but, but really is, is coming from a place of selfishness, fear, shame. And God would say, you're wrong. You're wrong. That's not who I made you to be. That's not who you are. Who lied to you? You need to uh, embrace the fact that you're wrong and agree with God. Let him decide who you are. Let him define what the best way to live is even if it doesn't always make perfect sense. You guys ever noticed that? Have you ever tried following Jesus for a few days only to discover, like sometimes he asks us to do things that are like, this is, this is, this is crazy. This is crazy. The world tells me this is crazy. Why would I love people this way? Why would I, why would I be vulnerable like this with the people around me? Why would I give? With such radical generosity. This is, this is utter nonsense. And Jesus said, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, no, but you're wrong. <laughs> follow me. <laughs> Die to yourself and follow me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Can we stand together, please? Worship team, will you join me up front? I say, Worship team. Two of you. The last thing I'll say, and then we're going to take a moment to, to worship and song. Correction requires a response. I'm the master at listening to someone tell me how wrong I am and then responding in a way that seems really humble. Like I can fully make you believe that I'm like receiving everything you're saying. And but in my heart, I'm like, yeah, you don't know, you don't know. When someone who loves us has enough courage and love in their hearts to say, hey, can we talk? I gotta tell you, I was reading the scriptures and, and I think God wants to talk to you about something and I'd love to, to help you with that. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that you're wrong and you need to stop and I love you and I wanna help you. I'm on your side and you don't have to agree with me. I could be wrong. I don't think I am. And so what are you going to do with that? How, How will you respond? I would suggest that if someone has enough courage to have that conversation with you, begin with the assumption that maybe they're right and you're wrong. Go home, pray about it. Get out your Bible. Like, man, what was that verse they were talking about? Is that right? Have I been wrong, like, my whole life? Possibly. And now you have a chance to respond, to think differently, to act differently. It could mean radical change. But there's a response. I want us to be the kind of community that can practice doing that because you know, there's a whole world out there that needs to change. I keep having this conversation with people about the state of our city. Like people are leaving Portland. People will like kind of pop into the city and then get out. because they're like, Portland's kind of, yeah, struggling right now. I love our city. I really do. Sometimes I wonder why, but I do. I do. I think Jesus loves our city. Jesus is not done with our city. But if we expect the quote-unquote world out there to change and, and follow Jesus, like we have to start practicing that among the Jesus followers. Like We've got to be the ones to model that. We've got to get good at, at giving and receiving correction. If we expect anyone out there to ever like follow suit. And so I want us as a church family to to practice responding well. And last thing, and then then I'll stop. Uh, Pray about engaging with someone. You know, if you're thinking, yes, I've been wanting to correct this person for so long. I'm feeling emboldened. now. <laughs> it's gonna be like the beginning of the end of our church. <laughs> just take a deep breath, pray about it. Say, Lord, is this, would you have me say something? Or maybe, maybe it's not me. Maybe I just need to pray for my brother or my sister. and then, And then proceed accordingly. Lord Jesus, help us. Thank you for loving us so much that you, you're you not afraid to, to risk awkwardness. You're not afraid to risk even potential offense because the cross is just offensive. Won't you help us to love each other the way you love us? That we would learn how to give and receive correction, correction, um, Engage in confrontation in a way that that does build up your body, that builds up the church, that blesses the world. Lord, would you help us to find greater security in who you say we are? In Jesus' name.